Well, welcome to Cities Church. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're excited to continue together through our Song of Solomon series. And listen, we get it. We know that you have more questions than we are able to cover on stage during these sermons. And we know there's more wisdom within our church family, whether it be through other staff persons or other covenant members or, or other elders, that we want to be able to host these casual conversations to do just that to tackle these tough topics and pressing questions that you are probably asking. Questions about singleness and dating. Questions about marriage and conflict. About sex and expectations. About how to talk to your kids about all that stuff. And so we hosted these conversations trying to open our Bible and open our life. What we do in all of our ministries here at Two Cities. And so we want to encourage you, if you would join with us, we'll be dropping these conversations through the sermon series online, making them available. We pray they are a blessing to you as each of us try to live our lives, and yes, even our love lives, underneath the Lordship of Christ. And tonight, we're going to be going through Song of Solomon chapter 1. That'll be where we are camped out. We'll be dipping our toe a little bit in chapter 2, but chapter 1 will be where we mainly are. So I invite you to type to or turn to Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, and we'll be looking at the big picture of what does God's Word say to us about singleness, attraction, and dating. This will be a fun one, right? Singleness, attraction, and dating. To be honest, it's hilarious that I'm on stage right now. Uh, was not very good at dating myself. And it's funny, when I was single, thinking back, and it's not that long ago, there was this like new phenomenon, right? This like newfangled thing. We we're trying to figure out what it was, and it's called online dating. It's like, what is this? How does this work? How do you connect with people through the interwebs, right? And uh, Pastor Caleb and I met each other at a school where um, young men trained to become pastors, more or less. And so as you can imagine, there were not a lot of single females available at that school. So I remember we were hanging out one night, and Caleb looked over and was like, dude, I've been thinking about trying this online dating stuff. What do you think? I'm like, yes. He's like, do you want to help me? I'm like, let's do this. And so we had to get his profile picture, right, for his online dating profile. So I grabbed my camera. We were just idiots. We're running around campus, taking these, like, glamour shots like we're back in prom again, like behind, like, bushes or on benches, like in draperies and stuff, just being morons. But I'm happy to report to you that it worked that my photography and my eye for beauty, the way I was able to cast his face in the soft southern glow, he was able to woo his wife, Kelly, through this new thing called online dating. Yeah, that's right, somebody's loosely clapping the front. Thank you that Caleb (laughs) finally found a wife, right? We're so glad. No, but, uh, and to be honest, if I look at the world now, the dating world as it is, I don't know if I would survive. Many of you who are single and are trying to date, you don't know if you're going to survive either. Things be crazy. That's why I'm thankful God gave us a clear word through his word, the Bible. So we're going to look today, yes, specifically to our singles, but this word is for everybody. So singles, before we get in, I just want to say to you, sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but I know it's true because it's true of myself, it's true of everyone else in this room. You are more sexually broken than you realize. The Bible has a category for sin it calls iniquity. You know what that means? It means that sin's not just stuff you do that's wrong. It's also that there is something wrong inside of us. The things we want, the things we desire, the things we value. It's like those things are off. That part of us is bent. 
It's crooked. It's like driving an old car when the alignment's off. You take the hands off the steering wheel, what happens? It like starts careening into the, into the ditch. That's what the Bible is telling you. Singles, if you do not live your life according to God's word, but follow your heart, listen to what you want, chase after what you desire, your life will end in the ditch. So that means for all of us, we have to correct more than we anticipate. You may be here tonight like, great, finally, somebody's preaching on dating. Hopefully, hopefully I have some great tools and tips and tricks. The Bible says you don't need just more information. You need transformation. Paul challenges us in Romans, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, aka don't drive your life into the ditch, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not just your head, what you think, but also what you want, what you desire. So we don't need just to be informed tonight. We need to be transformed. Not just baby steps where we get a little incrementally better. No, we need a new life by the power of the Spirit. And parents, this message is for you too. Parents, we have got to step up and develop the next generation that is in our homes to live their lives, yes, even their love lives, according to the Word of God and the image of Christ. And marriage, this is for us. We need to step in be able to model for those in our church family what a good godly marriage looks like. And we gotta be able to speak up, no longer on the sidelines, but willing to give honest, clear, and godly advice to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to navigate these difficult waters. But I'm thankful that God has given us his word. Let's turn it together. Song of Solomon chapter one. I'm gonna read the whole chapter. It's gonna be a good time. Let me just warn you beforehand, you're gonna think this is weird. It's a poem. It's very poetic, which means that it sounds kind of weird. Just hang with me. Even though it's poetic, I promise, it is uniquely practical and speaks into our lives, yes, even our love lives. Let's read Song of Solomon, chapter one. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. She begins, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. And the king has brought me into his chambers. And they respond, we will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. She says, I am very dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Don't gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon, for why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? He responds, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. They say, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. And she says, while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. He replies, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful, your eyes are doves. And she says, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green 
The beams of our house are cedar, and our rafters are pine. Well, the chapter starts off with a bang, doesn't it? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. There is a buzz. There is an excitement, an ecstasy, a happiness, however you want to put it, that comes with attraction. They've done studies that apparently you can look at somebody's brain. And whenever they are attracted to someone else, you can see things firing and neurochemicals being released. One of them, apparently, is dopamine, which the effects of dopamine can be as addictive as cocaine. That's fun. There's another neurochemical that can literally lead to a lack of appetite and insomnia. So you can be so attracted to someone, you no longer eat nor sleep. It's like later on in Song of Solomon chapter 8, whenever it writes in verse 7, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it out. It is a powerful thing. For some of you, that's a part of your sweet story. I knew the first time I laid eyes on her that we'd be together forever and we have. For some of you, this is part of your mess. I didn't even want to be attracted to that person. I knew from the beginning it was not going to go well. All my friends told me, but I couldn't help it until it was too late. God has given us a powerful gift in attraction. So how do we live it according to his word? We're going to look at a few principles from Song of Solomon 1 about godly attraction. And kind of big picture is that godly attraction is more than the physical. Because whenever we talk about attraction, we're focusing first and foremost on the feeling, right? When our eyes locked from across the room, my heart fluttered within me. Or today, you know, whenever his DM lit up my phone, I knew we'd be together forever. <laughs> or we focus on the physique, how somebody looks with our goofy rules like, well, I can't date anybody that's younger than me or shorter than me or less educated than me, but obviously they need to be more athletic and make more money, be more attractive. God doesn't focus on the physical first and foremost. That's, that's a part of it, but it's not all of it, nor is it that priority. What does he focus on? He focuses on someone who lives according to his word. The reality is that our attraction, what we're attracted to, flows out of our value system, what we value. Our attraction flows out of our value system. So what does it mean then if our priority is the way somebody looks or the way they make us feel? It means that we need somebody to teach us to be attracted to the right things. We need someone to help us value what God does. We need something or better yet someone to so capture our hearts that we think and love like God does. We need him by the power of spirit to speak through his word tonight. So ladies, I'm gonna start with you. By that I mean I'm gonna tell you what you should be looking for in a guy. Really, I'm gonna tell you from Song of Solomon what you should be looking for from a guy. But guys, listen up. This is more or less the game plan. Don't come crying to me if you don't follow it. Ladies, you need more than a good guy. You need a godly man. You need more than a good guy. You need a godly man. And a godly man, first and foremost, follows Christ. I think that's more or less what they're saying. You see verse three, whenever she's talking about this guy and she says that his anointing oils are fragrant, 
Pastor Kyle talked about how he kept up with themselves. That's part of it. But where do we see anointing oils in the Bible? We see people are anointed with oil when they are set apart for a specific purpose of God, whether it be priests, whether it be prophets or kings. So this woman sees that this man is centering his life around the purpose of God. We say there in the end of verse three, his name is oil poured out his name. Who he is, we'll get to that in a second, is oil poured out. But the name part of it, we see that he is not only living with the purpose of God, but, but taking hold of the promise of God. Because in, when the Lord spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, what does he say? I will make your name great. Or to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Your name will be great. So this man, namely Solomon the king, his name has been made great. He is living his life within the purpose and the promise of God. None of us are gonna be the king of Israel. So what does that mean for us? It means that we follow Christ, the king. It means we come after him. It means we find our lives centered around who he is and what he calls us to be. It means that the man you are looking for should be disciplined in being in church instead of chasing some goofy hobby or sleeping in late. It means that the man you're interested in should be care deeply about community, should be serving regularly, should be generous consistently, should be someone who follows Christ. Also should be someone who has a reputation of character, has a reputation of character. Character is only known over time. Character is something like what? A person who chooses consistency over compromise. How are you supposed to know that when you first meet somebody? How are you supposed to know what their lives are like over the long haul? The word of God is telling you, likely someone else knows. This person probably has a reputation that people know of him, what his life is like, what he invests in, who he's really like, right? And so what's the challenge, ladies? Is if you will listen to others. We'll talk about dating and community later. But if you will key in not just what he looks like in the moment, but how he has lived his life over the long haul, and just a tip, if nobody knows him, that can be a, a, a warning sign too. You need someone who is known and who is known to follow Christ. You need a spiritual leader. The next, you need a spiritual leader. Look at this in verse four. What does she say? She says, the king has brought me into his chambers. Big picture, when I'm reading through Song of Solomon, I think that the wedding happens in chapter four so I don't take this verse to be sexual. I take this verse to be very similar to what is said in chapter two, verse four. It said, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. So it's not just um, uniting together in marriage. That's gonna come. What does this verse mean? Just like Pastor Kyle talked about last week. This is someone who steps up and steps in. This is someone who makes his intentions clear. This is someone who provides and protects. This is someone who is leading spiritually. Because ladies, look at how she responds to him in verse four. 
the end of verse four, draw me after you, let us run. Don't you love that? She's given him an invitation to lead. That's one of the best definitions I've heard from Ephesians 5 when Paul tells um, men to lay down their lives for their spouse, their bride, as Christ did for the church, and ladies to submit to your own husband. That's a great definition of submission there, to invite him to lead. Ladies, if you're honest, the guy you're attracted to or maybe in a relationship with is not somebody you can invite to lead, but somebody you can make excuses for. Yeah, you don't know. He, he really doesn't mean it like that. He really is nicer than he seems. I promise he really is a good guy. You don't need a good guy. You need a godly man. So, men, now we come to you. Um, to be honest, men, I think we can be pretty vain, right, whenever we think about what, who we are attracted to. Because ladies... Um, if you get down to the heart of it, they really want some of those characteristics we talked about. But I think all the statistics, all the studies, all the whatever shows, we're like, nope, physical. It's like number one. That's what we're looking for. So I love how God's word speaks to us and tells us what it looks like to have godly attraction, who we should be looking for. And so ladies, here again, be listening. This is the vision for your life as well. So men, what we should be looking for is more than a girl that's cute, but one that is strong in Christ. More than someone who is cute, but someone who is strong in Christ. Because it's pretty surprising the way she talks about herself here in chapter one. It's pretty clear that she has not had the time, the effort, the energy, or really even the focus to obsess over her appearance. She is not obsessed with her appearance. Look at verse five. She talked about she's dark but lovely. She's like, don't gaze at me because I'm dark. Very shortly, what we find attractive has changed over time. Apparently, back in the day, this is more like the Victorian era. You know, you studied about in high school and whatever else. That back then, you're looking for a woman who is fair and fat. Pale and plump. <laughs> and so for her, it's not necessarily what she looks like, Namely, she's not fitting in with societal norms. But I think the text is pressing in, more importantly, in why she looks that way. What does she say in verse six? Because the son has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They've made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. She's talking about her mother's sons. Maybe she's from a broken home. Maybe her dad is dead. Maybe this is a stepmom, half-siblings, stepchildren. I don't know. But she is from a dysfunctional family and she is a working girl who doesn't have time to obsess with her appearance. You see the wordplay there? She's been working out outside in the vineyard so she didn't have time to focus on her appearance, the vineyard of her appearance. This is not a racial comment. It's just saying she's got rough hands and a farmer's tan. And as any working woman can attest, ain't nobody got time for that. I was listening to a sports podcast, a national personality was talking, and he was sharing a story about his daughter. His daughter's uh, early in high school. And apparently, she'll wake up early before school and take a selfie of what she intends to wear and post it on Instagram. And depending on the comments from her friends, 
or the comments from guys she's interested in or the comments from whomever else, she'll decide whether or not she's gonna wear that, whether or not that makes her look good enough to walk out the door. That's terrifying. That is heartbreaking. That's shocking. But to be honest, ladies, how much time, money, thoughts do you spend on your appearance? How often are you taking photos of yourself, posting those photos of yourself, scrolling back through those photos that you posted of yourself? What the Bible is welcoming you into is what other people have called the freedom of self-forgetfulness. She will be com comfortable and confident in who you are because the reality is you don't want someone to be attracted to what you think you should appear like. You want somebody to be attracted to you. Also, this lady has inner strength. she got some gumption, doesn't she? Love it. A lot of insecurities, hey, everybody's got them. But she does not let those insecurities control her or make her desperate. See verse seven, she's confident to speak. She's like, don't look at me right. I don't look the way I kind of want to, but still look here. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. She's willing to step up, speak her mind, say what she wants. If you're honest, many of you are controlled by your insecurities because you don't reach up to the standard you think you should. You're not willing to say what you think. You're not willing to actually move forward with what you want because your securities think you must compromise. But her securities, no, they not, not only don't control her, but they don't make her desperate. Look at verse seven, the end of it. She's like, tell me where you're gonna be, because why? Why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Who in the Bible veils themselves beside flocks? Prostitutes do. I think this is a direct allusion to Genesis chapter 38 when a desperate woman, Tamar, seduced an immoral man by doing just that. And you know the reality. If you are lonely enough, sad enough, bored enough, you know what you need to do. You know where to go. You know who to text. Or if you're at a low enough point and whoever it is reaches back out, it is not difficult to know how to compromise. But this woman, because of her strength in Christ, she's not gonna yield or bend. Because finally, as we see here, she cares more about God's heart than her feelings. She cares more about God's heart than, yes, her feelings, and even strong feelings at that. Have you heard the way she has talked about how she feels about this guy? It's like intense stuff. Have you even heard about this guy? He seems pretty great. What does she say there in chapter 2, verse 7? She says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. So she's talking to us. I adjure you. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. She, no matter how she feels, will not rush into anything until it's God's time. She has disciplined her heart by the word of God. Ladies, may this sermon be a call up. Step up, take responsibility. I don't care if he is a good guy. 
He's not a godly man. Do not give him the time of day. I do not care how you feel about him in your heart of hearts. Be strong. Put up some boundaries, both emotional and physical. Because if you awaken love before it is God's time, you will put your heart through a blender. Be strong in Christ, not just somebody that's cute. Now we get to roll into the type of relationship. We've hit the type of person, attraction. Now we get to talk about the wild world that is dating. And as always, there's a ditch on either side of the road. So typically when we think about dating, there's two ways we can go wrong, drive our car into some flaming wreck, right? The first one is serial dating. Serial, not like what you eat in the morning, like S-E-R, right? Over and over and over. It's hookup, shack up, break up. It is low commitment and high pleasure. And again, if you drive toward that ditch, guess what's gonna happen? You've seen the newsreel. But there's another side of it. And this one I think is not serial dating, taking it too casually, but over here I think it's being too serious too fast. Typically we see this in church. Church is. Where the kids in youth group who are attracted to somebody think it's gonna be their soulmate. It's like, sure, we can throw emotional and physical boundaries out the window because we're married in our hearts. There's gotta be a third way. I think that's according to Christ's word. I think that's what we like to call intentional dating. Intentional dating. So let's talk about some principles. How do we go about dating intentionally? Well, firstly, the male leads and the female responds. The first thing about intentional dating is the male leads and the female responds. Because the woman is the speaker of this song, but it seems in their relationship, the man is the one to step up, to say the first word, to, make, to take the first step. He pursues her intentionally. That's the rest of chapter two. You can check it out. He's leaping over mountains, right? Bounding over valleys. That's him pursuing her. He communicates and makes his intentions clear. That's what we were trying to talk about, brought him into the banqueting house. Like, yo, she's with me. And my banner is over her, right? She's not wondering what I'm thinking. She's not wondering what this thing is. My intentions are clear. And protection and provision. That's the apple tree thing, right? Sitting underneath this shade and enjoy the apples. Protection, provision. This type of man is a dying breed because technology makes men timid. Researching for the sermon and there's some secular blogger just railing, right? It's incredible. She's not even a Christian. She's like railing. She's like, men put more effort trying to find what movie to watch on Netflix or trying to get through the latest campaign of whatever video game they're playing than actually pursuing a woman. And all the ladies say, amen. <laughs> so guys, just wanna say, if you are interested, say the first word. Take the first step. Physically, walk across the room, look her in the eyes, have words come out of your mouth that you are interested. You can say the word date. It's like, hey, do you wanna hang out? What does that mean? Nobody knows what that means. Let us go on a date. And if the date goes well, you know what you can do? Tell her it went well. Ask her on another date. You don't have to wait three days. I don't know where that came from. 
Clarity is kindness. And I just want to say, young men, if you are not man enough to walk across the room, look a woman in the eyes, and speak to her face-to-face, you are not man enough for a relationship. The male leaves, but the female responds. So ladies, the challenge to you is to respond appropriately. So if he is timid, I give you freedom. Call him out on it. I was talking to some friends about this sermon this week, and this girl shared just a fantastic story. She was like in high school or whatever. Some guy texted her, like, hey, what's up? You know, got your number from a friend. You want to hang out? She's like, I picked up the phone, and I called him and told him that if he wanted to go out with me, he should, he should ask me face to face. Like, gum, you did. <laughs> but also, if they're trying, if they've walked, if they're taking a swing, if they're saying words, then give them a chance, Right? And it's okay to tell them if you're interested. You don't have to try to play some mind games, games within games within games. It's okay to tell them you're not interested. Don't just say like, yeah, I'll text you back later and never do it. We live in these like dramatic real life rom-coms because we're not talking to each other. It's like we're trying to decipher um, 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 text messages like they're hieroglyphics. What does he mean by K period? What does it mean that this was sent three days ago at 11.55 p.m.? Maybe God's designed is the right way for men to step up, step in, say the first word, and women to respond appropriately. Next, we see the benefit, the value, the call, the exhortation to date in community. One part of the song is that the others, they, they're part of the conversation the whole time. From the beginning, the friends affirm that their relationship is a good thing. They say in the end of verse four, we will exult and rejoice in you Rightly do they love you. They support and they contribute to the relationship. I think that's what's happening in verse 11. Whenever they're like, hey, we're gonna make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. Like, you got a good thing going on. We're happy to help. Because this relationship is life-giving to others. I think that's what's going on in verses 12 and 13. Talking about the nard giving forth this fragrance and the sachet of myrrh and whatever. I think it's saying this isn't like smoke and vinegar. This is life-giving to those that they are around. Because the reality is often godly friends are the first to notice if someone or some relationship is toxic. Because here's what happens. Love is blind. It's true, the neurochemicals and whatever else. Love is blind. And in dating relationships for whatever, you have this like primal instinct to like seclude. You know, the, the people who start dating and disappear. And so what you are doing is you are shutting two blind people in a room with a blowtorch and hoping it goes well. I <laughs> just want to challenge you. If you are, feel yourself wanting to pull away, that's going against God's design. If you see someone pulling or being pulled away, step up and say something. So often Christian communities are like, well, I knew that was a bad idea when they started. Then why didn't you say something? If they drive their life into the ditch with a fiery explosion, then you bear some responsibility if you saw it and never spoke up. Relationship type of God's way also includes the right boundaries. It includes the right boundaries. Do you know what the difference is between a swamp and a river? Boundaries. Your life 
will swamp if your relationship does not have boundaries. And both parties have to agree on this. The male leads and the female responds appropriately. Yes, that means talking clearly about physical boundaries. The most helpful way I've heard it put is that is that an act of affection or an act of desire? We always want to know, like, where's the line or how far is too far? Can I do this? Can I do that? Just, just ask yourself, is that an act of affection or is that an act of desire? Because affection is for dating. Desire is for marriage. But also emotionally, emotional boundaries. All of us have fine china in our life. That means the deepest parts of us. It means our struggles, our desires, our dreams. And dating is not the place to share the fine china of your life with someone you just met. The someone you've known for just a little while with no actual commitment in place. So don't talk about kids' names. Don't start talking about potential wedding plans. Don't be pretending like she's gonna be your accountability partner and talk about your sin struggles. The focus in dating is on friendship, not trying to microwave soulmates. Because if you try to jump straight to soulmate, guess what's happening? The swamp. And boundaries also create direction. It creates direction. Intentional dating is going somewhere. It has intentionality. It's got direction and movement to us. So does the song. Chapter one, they're single and they're dating. Chapter two, they're engaged. Chapter three comes the wedding. Chapter four comes the honeymoon. See, the poem is building. It's crescendoing to the wedding day. That's what healthy relationships are like. And I think that's what's going on here in verses 17. Talk about our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. What's that talking about? I think it means they're saying, one, it's like life-giving, right? These things are living things. But also, they're, they're, they're talking about building a life together. They're not just in some weird, toxic thing where they're using each other for some sexual or emotional fix. They're trying to see if they could not just have a good time, but make a good life. Not as someone they have uh, warm, fluttery feelings in their heart for. This is someone they could pursue Christ together with. For Christians, dating is kind of like temporary housing. Maybe y'all remember your temporary housing situations? One of mine in college is fantastic. This house was like falling in on itself. I had to extend my legs so my roller chair wouldn't like move toward the middle of the house. You don't go into that house without a plan to get out. For Christians, dating begins, you get into it for only the amount of time needed and you get out when the relationship develops either toward marriage or away from it. Because Christians understand that there are only really two options. Either you end up together under the Lord Jesus Christ, or the goal is not to be ashamed how you acted together whenever you meet their family or talk to their friends or their future spouse or the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want to challenge each of us, no matter where you are, but what is appropriate for the direction of your relationship. If you are old enough and been dating long enough, maybe it's time to put a ring on it. If you are in college or just started your professional life, just be honest, it's probably gonna be a while. So that means don't try to start microwaving your soulmate. 
Learn how to interact with somebody. Focus on friendship and see where it goes. For some of you, just to be honest, you are too young and way too far away to actually marry to seriously date. So if you are in high school or younger, just learn how to interact with somebody of the opposite sex. Learn how to look a girl in the eye or have a guy look at you in the eye and I think he's interested. Learn how to have healthy conversations about more than video games or giggling. Learn how to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Parents, if you still have kids in the home and they are young kids, begin appropriately talking to them about these things. God's intent for love, God's design for relationships. If they are older kids, ask questions. Oh, you wanna go on dates? Great, why? What do you hope to accomplish on those dates? You wanna talk? Fantastic, why don't you do that with friends? You wanna hold hands or kiss in the dark? Probably not. Cast a vision, parents, for the no. If you are saying no, why? One, have a vision. But two, if you are saying no, communicate how that no is gonna make them more like the image of Christ. Because sex is for marriage, and marriage is for men and women. And it is your job, parents, to intentionally shepherd and develop them so they become young men and women with the responsibility and Christ-likeness that will lead to a successful marriage. For each of us, we need to learn to, to either take leadership or respond appropriately we need to surround ourselves with friends. We need to set the right boundaries and we need to be honest about where this is heading because these are not things to play around with. I just wanna end with something that's not surprising. Love and attraction are very powerful things. There may be a time, it could be recently, it could be right now, to where it's a movie, it could be a book, it could be a song, it could be a person where you literally feel like you have been cut open and poured out. This deep longing that you do not know what to do with. I'll just ask you a question. Where did that desire come from? Did it come from you? No, because you're not a creator. You don't create anything, you just deal with what's been given to you. Did it come from Satan? That's right, that's what they tell you in the church. If you got strong feelings, they're from the devil. No, the devil's not a creator either. He can only just take what's there and twist it or warp it. Your deepest, ultimate desires have come from God alone. And it is time for each of us to realize that our ultimate desires can only be filled by an ultimate love. Our ultimate desires can only be filled by an ultimate love. So no matter where you are tonight, if this sermon has reminded you of all the ways you've screwed up, if this sermon has awoken again in you the soul-crushing weight of your desire, we really only have two options. Turn to Christ or turn away. That's what you're left with. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, I have never turned to Christ. I have been trying to scratch and claw and fill this desire with any person I come across, with any place I go, with any thing I use. Turn away from those things and take hold of Jesus Christ. That ultimate longing will never be filled. 
unless it is filled with the ultimate love that's given from our God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. After the service, the prayer team will be up here by the, on the curtain there on the sign. All you have to do is walk across the room and say, I need to pray. I need help. Or maybe you need to grab the person you came with and say, I want to know more about that. And they'll walk with you. For others of us, maybe we've taken hold of Christ. Maybe we've looked to him, but we need to do the good old-fashioned word that is repent. Repent, right? What does it mean to repent? It means to turn. What are you chasing after? How have those desires in you led for you to claw, to scrape, to scratch, to chase toward what leads to death? This is your invitation to turn. Turn away from those things and turn toward the Lord Jesus Christ who made you, who gave you that desire and the ultimate is the only one who can fill it. Let's pray together. Our Father, all of us come broken. Nobody sitting next to us knows where we've screwed up the things we've done. Nobody really knows the desires we've had, what we've wanted. But Father, you do. We were reminded what we sang earlier that despite it all, your goodness is running after us. That you have created us for yourself and you are running after us to, to take hold of us in the love of Christ. So I pray tonight that we would turn toward you. Help us to lay aside all the junk we've been chasing after. Help us to lay aside, yes, relationship. Yes, that person, that place, that thing. Help us to cast it off. Empty our hands so we can take hold of Jesus Christ. May today be a new day where we run toward you for life and love and away from sin and death. We pray in Christ's name, amen.